Welcome to the Rock of Grace Cortland Campus Podcast, where we aim to lead people like you to follow Jesus together. We have a new podcast each week with a message that is prepared with you in mind. So here's this week's message. Amen. Good morning, everybody. I am just ecstatic that there is not snow coming from the ground for what seems to be like the first Sunday in all of 2022. It's a shame, you know, we had Rita's ice last week. It would have been a lot better uh, this week, and uh, we could have enjoyed it probably outside as opposed to shivering inside. But that's okay. Uh, My wife and I had a great time this weekend just getting things ready for summer. Did anybody else do something this weekend? Just was your first hint of summer, first hint of something warmer? See, we ordered mulch. We weren't planning on it, but they're like, oh, yeah, we could drop it off today. The best part of mulching is the part when it's done. Um, next year, I think we're going to just come to youth group and see if any of those teenagers want to come and do it. And, uh, you know, it's a service to the Lord, right? If you do it at your pastor's house, uh, we'll see if I can stretch that one next year. It's a jewel in your crown or something. I'm not quite sure, but we'll see. But if I don't have the honor of meeting you, if you're just joining us online for the first time, my name is Dave Brock, and I'm the pastor here at Rock of Grace of Cortland. And we're going to be concluding our series about strategic design. How God made things with a purpose, and how God knew what was happening all the way through last week when we talked about Easter, and Jesus dying for our sins, raising to life so that we can meet with him in all of eternity. God strategically designed that moment for you and for me. And I like strategy. I like strategy games. I like thinking. Does anybody else like a good strategy game? I remember when my first exposure to some strategy games was a board game called Stratego. Has anybody ever played Stratego? Some of you guys like, that is an old game. And now there's a lot different types of games. The amount of board games they have is absolutely astronomical. But see, I like games where it's very strategic. And you kind of get to think through what your opponent is going to do. Because I like to have not just my steps played out, but somebody else's steps played out. The best part is when you can force your opponent to do what you want them to do because you left them no other choice. So we have the strategy games. But see, then there's this other game where you're really left up to a lot of chance. Does anybody prefer those random games? You're like, you're like I'm really bad at games, but you know what? This is a game that gives me a chance to win because it doesn't matter whether I, I do well or do not. Some of you, your favorite game might be Candyland. That is a great example of one. Some of you might have played Candyland this week. I'm sure it is coming up in my near future. Um, well, that's all right. Uh, there's another game called Scrabble. Have you ever played Scrabble before? Chances are, if you're in this room, you've probably played Scrabble. It's been around for a very, very long time. Not too long ago, my in-laws gifted us a uh, very old classic, what we say it was from the 60s, original, or not original, but it was the 60s board from Scrabble that rotates, spins. It's got the pieces that lock in. Everything's a different color. It's like a, a navy blue. Uh, absolutely fantastic. It's in great condition. Her grandfather uh, was very meticulous. We still have basically everything but the wrapping is uh, it's in there. 
So if you ever played Scrabble, then you know what I'm talking about. Or maybe you've played the more modernized version on your phone, Words with Friends, and then Scrabble realized, oh, wait, we need a video game too, and now they have both there, and probably nobody plays them anymore. But there was a season where if you were on Facebook, you probably got pounded one after another with requests to play Words with Friends with somebody, and everybody's playing, and now you're playing Wordle instead, and uh, I got it on the second try this week, so I'm just going to stop playing at this point with with that one. But see, Scrabble, though, can be a super casual game. It's really casual if you're playing with, like, a first grader, and you kind of have to be casual, right? You're not playing these insane words. But then there's that one person. You ever play a game with that one person? Maybe you're that person. Don't nudge your spouse or whoever you came with today, but maybe you're that one person. But let's not throw them under the bus. But I know somebody who's that one person at Scrabble, and it's my aunt. Uh, my aunt and uncle, they're, uh, they live up in Niagara Falls. And anytime we visited them, uh, that was my aunt's absolute favorite game. And anytime we visited, we had to play. You know, there were other games you have to play when you see somebody, but Scrabble was the game we had to play when we were at my aunt and uncle's house. Because that's her favorite game. And it's moments like this where you play a game with somebody who cares way more than you ever do about this game. And you learn you've been playing entirely wrong your entire life. Or you think there's a rule for this, and there's not. You ever play a game with somebody? I guarantee for you, if you play a game with me, that's going to be Monopoly. And uh, I play that game to a T to the rule book. You don't get money on free parking. Your taxes go back to the bank, not to that center thing. Um, Because that's what makes the game go long. You auction off all your properties if you don't get there. I'm meticulous and I collect them. I've got everything ranging from Star Trek, uh, or not Star Trek, Star Wars, Pokemon, to Big Bang Theory uh, range of... uh, collections. And I have a lot of different collections of Monopoly. So it's just one of those fun facts. But if you play Monopoly with me, you're going to play it right. I promise you. You're going to play it right. There's no question. But you'll actually see the end. The reason why Monopoly feels forever is because we play it wrong. But we're not talking about Monopoly. We're talking about Scrabble. So Scrabble, we learn that some words we think are words are not words. And then other times, you say, no, 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 there's no way that is a word. You ever play Scrabble with somebody and you get in an argument because you're insisting this is not a word or a word that you put down, somebody else is saying, no, 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 that is not a word, I promise you. Scrabble has a dictionary. Some of you guys might have one. Some of you guys have had it used against you. Um, We won't talk about those moments. See, here's the thing. You can argue all you want. You ever play the game without it? And this might have been before the days of the internet. You're scrambling to find a dictionary. Um, I believe my parents had a really old dictionary growing up. This is before the internet. And we would run to find this really old dictionary and see if it was in there. But then now, we just, what do we do? You pull out your phone and you search it. And you find out whether or not this is a real word or not. But here's the thing. When you're playing Monopoly, or not Monopoly, Scrabble, and you put a word down and you're contesting the word you get to a point where you don't question it anymore because you see it in the dictionary and it ends the arguments. 
You ever have an argument end just because, bam, here it is, you can't contest this anymore? You're like, oh, good. Now, I don't know how you guys are, for those of you who are married or in a relationship, some of you guys might argue different or fight different. Uh, my wife and I, we are very different when it comes to the end of an argument or a disagreement. Michelle could say, I forgive you, and the next minute we're prancing in a field holding hands and uh, licking ice cream cones. And for me, I need at least a good two hours just to uh, cool down. I don't care what we're talking about. But we have those different things. So, like, imagine playing a game, and it's like, all right, here you go. You're right, I'm wrong, or I'm wrong, you're right. And you you have to move on. You can't argue some of these things. So we don't question the dictionary of the author of the game that we play that is Scrabble. But then let's bring this into reality. Let's bring this into our lives. We sometimes find ourselves having the audacity to question the author of the Bible, even though he was the one that wrote all things into existence. We have these moments where we see the truth. We know the truth. We read the truth. But then when we seek the truth out, we say, no, 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 this can't truly be it, or this can't be really what the Bible says, or this can't be really what God thinks, or what says this, or let's just find out. It has to be this way, right? And then we open it up, and they say, no, this is what Scripture says. And sometimes we have the audacity to question it. You ever hear the argument, oh, well, it's, it's an older book. You know, that was for different times. Life is different now. But see, the truth is, the word of God is forever true. Yesterday, today, and tomorrow. It is the same, the ever-living, active word of God. And we need to make sure that as we walk out of Easter, as we walk out of a season where we are saying, God, thank you for dying for me, for being raised for me. Do we realize that's the most insane part of the scripture? And if we're going to claim that this is true, we shouldn't question the rest of it. But sometimes we forget, sometimes we don't apply it, or sometimes we stretch it, or sometimes we skip that word, or we interpret the word to mean what I need it to mean in my moment. And this is why it's important that we spend time reading Scripture, and not just reading a verse, not just reading a word at a time, but really taking Scripture into context and learning and understanding what it means. So we have another element to look at. As we kind of pull out of Easter, talking about the strategic design that God has put into place to redeem us, then we have to ask, where do we go from here? Where do we go in our walk with Christ? Whether we're new to following Jesus, or I've been following Jesus for a long, long time, for decades and decades, we're never done pursuing Jesus. We're never done pursuing his truth, pursuing the gospel, the goodness of all who he is. And his word. See, we've given our lives to Christ. We believe in him as our Savior who died bearing my sins, raising, defeating death so that we may meet him in eternity to be with him for all time. So now what? If you have your Bibles, I want to ask you to open up to 1 John chapter 2. Don't worry, we're going to have it up here on the screen as well. We're going to look at chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. And it says, this is how we know that we know him. If we keep his commands, the one who says, I have come to know him and yet doesn't keep his commands is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word 
Truly in him, the love of God is made complete. This is how we know we are in him. The one who says he remains in him should walk just as he walked. So we must walk just as Jesus walked. So when we walk out of Easter, recognizing what Jesus did for us, we're saying, God, I'm giving you my life. I am going to follow you. You are my Lord. You are my Savior, the Messiah who died and was raised for me and for my sins. We daily must choose to walk as Jesus walked. And we see this affirmed in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 20 through 24. And it says, You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitudes of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in the true righteousness and holiness. We are called, church, to live like Christ, to be made new. But to simplify this, let's look at what Paul says. In 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, he says, imitate me as I also imitate Christ. We must walk just as Jesus walked. We are called to live like Jesus, to be made new, so that we may imitate Christ in everything we say and in everything we do. And some days that, that is easy, right? Some days that is super, super easy. But other days, that is super, super hard. But as a Christian, our hope is the same. On the days that are easy, and on the days that we struggle, right? It's hard sometimes to maintain that same faith, to maintain that same hope, which is why we come to church. This is why we have the body this is why it's important that we gather together. This is why Scripture says iron sharpens iron. This is why we have moments during worship where we pray over another because we have the authority that Jesus has. We have the prayer, the community that Jesus commands us to have to lift us up so that we can be Jesus for somebody else. And we have to remember that God's Word brings truth to our lives. God's word brings truth into our lives. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 through 17, it says, But you have followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, and endurance, along with the persecutions and sufferings that came to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. This is Paul writing to Timothy, by the way. He says, What persecutions I endured, and yet the Lord rescued me from them all. In fact, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Evil people and imposters will become worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, 
Continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. You know those who taught you, and you know that from infancy you have known the sacred scriptures, which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. We must spend time with Jesus. It's one thing to, on a Sunday morning or in the middle of the week, say, Jesus, I'm giving you my life. But when we take into account what it actually means, it means I'm giving you my life. I'm spending time with you. When we make those commitments to another, we hold them. Because what happens when you spend time apart from one you made a commitment with? You no longer know them. So we do the same with Christ. If we are saying, Jesus, I am committing to following you, then we must daily, regularly, habitually spend time with him where we get to know him more and more each day. And when you're spending time reading his word, the Holy Spirit may speak to you about what you are reading. As the scripture said, his word is good for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training. Have you ever read in your devotions, in your time with Jesus, when your prayer time with him, have you ever read a scripture and felt convicted about something? Or felt God speak to you about something that you're reading? That's because scripture is good for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training. And the Holy Spirit will move through these words because his word is alive and active. And this begins to develop our understanding of who Christ is. Just like when you meet somebody, you're dating somebody, you're making a new friend, your friendship, your relationship doesn't stay at the beginning, does it? Unless you only talk to that person once a year, a relationship won't grow. A friendship won't grow. But you spend time in it, and you develop in your understanding of who each other is. Their hobbies, the things they like, the things they care about, what they do for a living. And the same applies to our relationship with Christ, where when we spend more time with God, we become more familiar with his words. We become more familiar with his voice. You ever get angry at God because you feel like you're not hearing him or he's not speaking See, sometimes, and this isn't all the time, but sometimes it's because we're not familiar with his voice. How can I know God is speaking to me when I am unfamiliar with what his voice sounds like, with who he is? Have you ever been to a public place, maybe a mall, an amusement park, 
or just somewhere where there's a crowd of people and you hear your name called out, maybe just your first name. This happens to me quite a lot. I've got a fairly common first name. If you have a very unique one, this probably doesn't happen as much to you. But you ever have those moments where somebody screams your name out, like, David! And you have no idea who the voice is. And you turn around, and you realize they're not even talking to you. <laughs> they're talking to somebody else who's in the same area who's got the same name as you. And you're like, oh, no wonder why I didn't recognize their voice. Or, or here's the other one. Somebody knows you, and you have no idea who they are, but they are beyond ecstatic to see you. You have those moments? You're like, yeah. Like, they're like, oh, hey. And then that's the moment where I lean on, oh, have you met my wife? Oh, no, Michelle. This is Michelle. And then uh, they say their name. I'll go, yeah, yeah, that's their name. Yep, I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> Thinking. You gotta use your big brain in those moments. But you have those times where somebody says your name, somebody's speaking to you, but you don't even recognize their voice. Or maybe there's a kid, for those of you who are parents, and somebody's screaming, Mom or Dad, and your instinct is to just turn and be like, what? Oh, you're not, there's like six other moms here. There's six other there are dads here or whatever it is. When we're not familiar with the voice, we don't know how to respond. Or on the other side of it, sometimes you ignore it. Sometimes you can ignore it because you don't recognize the voice. See, there's other times where uh, this is going to happen. This happened to me my entire childhood, and somehow I convinced my wife to name my son David as well. See, I'm David Jr. My father is David Sr. So growing up, my father and I would be watching TV, minding our own business. It didn't matter what we were watching. My mother would be coming, I don't know, from the kitchen or upstairs or something, and she wanted to speak to one of us. So she says, oh, David says something. I just assume she's talking to my father. My father just assumes, well, he's talking to her son. So we both proceed to ignore my mother because we don't even recognize who my mother is speaking to until she gets in front of the TV and says, I'm talking to you. It was a little less, uh, more abrupt. It was more Italian-like in those moments too. Sorry, mom, if you're watching, I love you. She watches these at some point. So, but here's the thing. When you don't recognize the voice, you don't recognize who's being spoken to, how are we supposed to recognize when God is speaking to us? If I don't spend time regularly in his word, how am, how am I supposed to understand when he's speaking to me? Because here's the thing. God is never going to say something to you outside of Scripture that contradicts his word in Scripture. And we don't know what that is if we don't spend time in his written word. You ever read a text conversation of two strangers online, and by the time you read that conversation, you feel like you know somebody? Or somebody sends you a screenshot of a conversation, like, oh man, I totally feel like I know what they're saying or I know what they're doing. It's the same thing, but so much more important when we spend time in Scripture, when we spend time in the Word to understand who Jesus is. Because the more we know the doctrine of our faith, which is what we believe, the more we will hold to it. The more it'll be a part of who we are. The more we begin to understand it. See, that makes sense. When you understand something, it's easier to apply it, right? Growing up, I had a teacher that 
How does take a test at the beginning of the school year? Maybe you had a shared experience where you take a test on something you're about to learn that upcoming year. And typically everybody fails it. You should fail it. You're designed to fail this test. Because the teacher was trying to make a point. Everybody didn't do well. But then at the end of the year, we all take that same test. And we all failed. And we see that we've grown. And we see that we all passed the test because we've learned something. See, at the beginning of it, you don't know what you don't know. Right? It's kind of hard to know what you don't know. You can know you're missing something, but if you don't know what it is, you can't know what you don't know. So the inverse of that is you can only know what you know. And this applies to our faith. This applies to our relationship with Jesus as our daily walk as a Christ follower. Yet sometimes we find ourselves trying to walk as a Christian as if I understand everything about God. Or sometimes I find myself saying, oh, this is it. Or, you know what? I get asked a question, and you ever feel the pressure to answer a question about your faith, and you're afraid to give an I don't know, or let me find out? I think that's happened to all of us at some point. Or sometimes you want to be, if you're the only Christian in somebody's life, you want to share who Jesus is. Somebody asks you a question about God, sometimes you're like, oh, yeah, well, you know, this feels right, so I'm going to say this. Or this sounds right, so I'm going to say this. See, the truth is, when there's things that we don't know, there's YouTube. And uh, I'm just kidding. But for real, I, I've YouTubed way too many things. I've learned to uh, drywall. I've learned to do electric. I've learned to install floors, all because of YouTube. At one point, that was a question you went to your dad for. Uh, but now that is a question where you just YouTube it. And uh, you've got a stranger on YouTube uh, being everything you need to know on how to do everything you need to know what to do for. But see, the more you know, the more you can use this knowledge, the more it applies to your life. And in verse 14 of Ephesians chapter 4, we see that Paul begins to point out that Timothy is no longer an infant of the faith. And he's directly referencing this in this letter. It says, then we will no longer be little children, tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness and the techniques of deceit. But I like what Paul continues to say in this next verse. It says, But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. And if we jump to Hebrews 13, 9, it says, Don't be led astray by various kinds of strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be established by grace, not by food regulation, since those who observe them have not benefited. So at the end, we must make sure we are growing out of our infant faith. And I know for a fact that there are those who are in this room who are not of an infant faith. And for those of us who are in this room who are not of an infant faith, we have a responsibility to help those who have an infant faith to grow past it, to grow through it, to grow into a mature faith that Christ is calling us to. This is why we spend time in prayer over and over. This is why we spend time in life groups. This is why we spend time just with each other. This is why in May, we're coming up with our Sunday at the park where we can grow together as a body of believers, where we're coming together with our friends at the Warren campus to celebrate at a park and grow in fellowship. 
Because we're not just going to fellowship just on a Sunday morning sitting in pews and sitting in rows of chairs. It's important to grow, but we also need to make sure we're creating time to grow in our friendship, to grow in a relationship with each other. Because you're not the only Christian in the world, and if you and your spouse or you alone are the only person in your household that is following Christ, you're not going to be in a healthy spot one day. We want to set you up to have that healthiness in your spiritual life. So we either need to grow out of our spiritual infancy, or for those who are matured, we need to find those who are just stepping into that moment and saying, let me help you. Let me guide you. There have been so many people in my life as I have grown that have poured into me. As a preteen, God bless those leaders, uh, those kids' church leaders did a miraculous work in my life. Then as a teenager, then in college, and even as a young pastor, to have people to pour into me. And we all need somebody who's going to pour into us so that way our faith will continue to grow. Because God's word brings truth into our daily lives. And as we say yes to Jesus, as we say yes to having him transform us in our heart, we need to make sure that we move ourselves into that place of understanding. Where we spend time in his word. Oh, thank God for air conditioning. Where we spend time in his word. We spend time with God. You ever have a question about what the Bible says about something and you Google it, and sometimes you get more confused? Like, wow, I was lost. Now I'm extra lost. Because here's the thing. That's why we have each other. If there's something you're trying to find and you can't find something in the scripture, come find me or one of our pastors on staff. We'll gladly sit down, have coffee, and help you find this thing, help you grow in your faith because we want to see your relationship with Jesus continue to grow. You can look around any of this room and find people that are very mature in their faith and have grown through so many different life circumstances. See, here's the thing. Where you want to know what the Bible says about things like adultery, check out Hebrews 13.4. What about thievery? Scripture's clear in Exodus 20.15. Gender identity, Genesis 1.27. Homosexuality, Leviticus 18.22. Greed, Luke 12.15. Drunkenness, Ephesians 5.18. And there is so much more. Scripture is clear. Scripture is direct. And if we're saying, Jesus, I'm following you with my wholeness, I'm following you with my all, we can't be selective. We can't Take portions of it and change it. We can't manipulate Scripture to be anything less than the Word of God. And the only way we can guarantee that we do this is by spending time in His Word, by spending time in prayer. See, Romans 3.23 says, For all of sin to fall short of the glory of God. We talked about this a lot last week. And this doesn't mean when we give our lives to Christ that suddenly today we were made perfect, but we strive to live for the one who is. We strive to imitate the one who is perfect. We strive to be all who Jesus is calling us to be. So here's what we do with the truth now that we have it. In 2 Timothy 2.15, it says, Be diligent to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed correctly teaching the word of truth. Correctly teaching the word of truth. I'm amazed sometimes at the things I've seen online where scripture is being manipulated. 
torn apart to mean something entirely different. And I'll sometimes send it to my wife or Jeremiah and we talk about them. Because these are things, if I'm seeing them online, then I know that people who are struggling with their truth, they're struggling to find the truth, they're struggling to find answers, are seeing this and finding themselves in a place of confusion. And church, we are called to represent a God of clarity in a world of confusion. We are called to be constant in our faith, to be constant in who Jesus is, because Jesus is the same for all eternity. Yesterday, today, and the same. And as a follower of Christ, I have a conviction that I must first let God's word move within me before I can expect him to move in others. Because I must remain open to do what scripture says for it to be used for teaching and rebuking, to bring towards righteousness. So we want to know what God says about certain things. It's in there. It's in the scripture. But don't just look at one verse. We must read the entire chapter. In our Church Center app, if you don't have it downloaded, I really want to encourage you to download the Church Center app. It's a great way to see what we have coming up, like some of our announcements from today. But right in there, we have a link. It's also on our website about how to read the Bible. And it sounds silly up front, right? Because, well, Pastor Dave, I learned to read in kindergarten, first, second, third, fourth, fifth grade. Like, I know how to read. But there's so much more than just looking at it, reading the Word, and moving on. So it's a great resource that we have available to you about how to read the Bible. But how else do we start from here? From moving past that moment. If you don't have a study Bible... I want to encourage you, get a study Bible. If you don't have one, come find me. I've got spares. I would love to bless you with one. And when I say spares, I mean they're brand new. They don't have my handwriting or anything in there. They're fresh for you to move inside and to write inside and to highlight and for God to do something incredible with. It doesn't matter if it's a physical Bible or a digital Bible. If you have a digital one, there's so many great apps that you can use. I'm a big fan of the Faith Life Bible app because it lets you see scripture and commentary underneath. I love those study Bibles because those are people who are well-versed in it that explain further on what the scripture means. But then once we have that, if you don't already have this habit in your life or in your family's life, start simple. Find five, ten minutes a day. Maybe it's getting up five, ten minutes earlier or shutting that TV off for five or ten minutes to diligently spend time with God and his word so that we can grow to be familiar with his voice, to be familiar with his word. This is how we see people move in the other gifts of the Holy Spirit. You ever wonder why God moves in certain people through the gifts of prophecy or tongues? It's because they're familiar with his voice. Because they're speaking God's word. And we can't speak and we can't move in these gifts if we're unfamiliar with who Jesus is. So when we set this time apart, when we create this in our habits, in our lives, this lets us do a lot of things. See, this lets God's word guide us in our every step. Psalm 119, 105 says, Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light 
on my path. When we read his word, his word is guiding us day in and day out. Then we find peace in freedom. John chapter 8 verses 32 says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. When we spend time in God's word, it allows us to discern with wisdom. 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 20 through 21 says, above all, you know this. No prophecy of scripture comes from the prophet's own interpretation because no prophecy ever came by the will of man. Instead, men spoke from God. See, there it is. We must be familiar with God's voice. As they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. When we spend time in his word, we can live in confidence. Psalm 119, 160 says, The entirety of your word is truth. Each of your righteous judgments endures forever. When we spend time in his word, we get to grow in our faith. John 17, 17 says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. We find sanctification. Sanctification sanctification means growing in our faith, to be more and more like Jesus each and every day. When we spend time in his word, we get to experience eternity. John 14, 6 says, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. We must know Jesus. We must know more of Jesus. So for some of you, this may be a reminder. For some of you, this may be a challenge. For some of you, this might just be the kick in the pants you need. Say, I need to get back and spend that time with Jesus. I've not been doing it in the way I should have been. I've kind of fallen through. Life has gotten busy. Things have gotten hectic. Things have gotten in the way. But I need to get back in that rhythm. So I want to issue a challenge to you for this month of May. April's about over. And as we step into May, I want to challenge you to build a new habit, to challenge you to read God's word daily. I'm not going to tell you how much, how little. Because if you're doing nothing right now, even one minute is more than you've been, right? That's between you and God for how much. But if you don't already have this spiritual practice in your life, let me encourage you to include it in your life. But then if you have this in your life, I want to encourage you to ask God to spend time in prayer saying, is this enough? Is this enough? Should I spend more time with you? Do I need to spend more time with you? Is my time with you focused? Because I can tell you the times I try reading my Bible with my son running around is a lot less beneficial and a lot less meaningful than the times when I'm doing it before he's awake. So take a moment, maybe at lunch, sometime today, look at your schedule and see where you can fit this time in to say, Jesus, you're a priority in my life. My schedule needs to show it. My time needs to show it. My time reading your word, spending time in prayer with you, in worship of you, in your name, needs to show it. But then to add to that, as I said, if you don't have a a study Bible, come find me, I'll get you one. Because that's how important it is. I love having a physical Bible because sometimes it just takes something tangible. 
I'm a big tech person. But I really believe every Christian does need to have a physical Bible in their household. Because there's a value to having the tangible word of God in your hands. So I want to leave you with that challenge this morning. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for what it means to walk out of an Easter season with the reminder of your word being truth to our lives. That we walk out of last week ready to spend more time with you. That we walk out ready to know more of you in our lives, in our personal lives at home, with our friends, our spouses, our children. God, that we can put you first in everything we say and everything that we do, that we can find ways to make sure that you are a priority in our lives, that our lives reflect your goodness, that I may walk in your truth, that I may walk in your mercy and your grace. And God, for those days where we may fail to spend the time with you that we need, I ask for grace, that we don't stand here feeling beat up, but that we know that you are a gracious God with loving arms wide open. God, allow us to leave this place knowing to spend more time with you, inspired to be more and more intimate with you in our time of prayer and devotion and worship. That our time continues to bring you glory and honor and praise as we seek to put you first when life is going great and in those moments where we're ready to call it quit. Because, God, you are good. You're good all the time. You are good through the thick of things. You are good when we don't see you. You are good when we don't hear you. God, allow us to grow in our understanding of your word and your will and your ways. Be with us as we prepare for this month of prayer, this month of time to grow in our relationship with you. And in your name we pray. Everybody said, amen, amen. Church, I really believe that God wants to do something incredible in your lives. And it starts with spending that habitual time with him. Again, if you don't have a physical Bible or a study Bible, come find me. And I will make sure you walk out of here today with one. But otherwise, I hope you enjoy the rest of this fantastic, beautiful day. May God bless you. Thanks for joining us. If this message impacted you or you would like to get in contact with us, you can visit us at www.rockofgrace.org. Also, be sure to share this message with a friend or subscribe so you never miss a message. God bless.